Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Blimey. All right. Quite tired. Isn't it? It's been a long few days. I mean, you, your energy is quite amazing. Yeah, but I, but I don't have to sing. We're sitting here in St. Augustine's Church in Kilburn, a beautiful church from 1870, surrounded by, it's not Burne Jones, but it's School of, isn't it, um, images. And in the background, uh, Andrew Wooderson and company are moving away the, uh, the keyboards that uh, Ed has arranged, uh, has tuned at quarter comma mean tone. With variants, Adrian Hunter is putting away the microphones. Um, but um, uh, Jules, let's—we're uh, here with Julia Donk, <laughs> Julia D- Doyle. <laughs> Say the theme words. Welcome to Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, that always sounds a bit gross, Sammy, because <laughs> it leads into the actual dog doing it, which isn't, yeah, by I the way, a dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It isn't a dog. I should just say the the um, the. Uh, beginning of the call chihuahua it's Eamon it's chihuahua is his thing unexpected cadence in bagging area anyway we're all a bit sort of tired and emotional because we've had four days here in this lovely church um because <laughs> it seemed to have gone by much faster, didn't exactly it? Something, right, yeah. yeah. And uh, doing a new CD um, that I suppose by the time we put this out will be about uh, to come out. The first in a series of masses of Orazio Benevoli, Roman mid 17th century, exact contemporary of Giacomo Carissimi, famous from of Yefte and other things. Um, a four choir mass and also motets by. Bonifacio Graziani. Come across him before, Julia? No, never. But you've now sung a number of his notes. Oh, that's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. This is the Benevoli. Yeah, 
this is the Nevoli? I'm sorry. No, no, no. This is the Attention Blue. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I can't remember. But he I hasn't listened to Bonifacio. Bonifacio. <laughs> <week. Bonifaz, yeah. laughs> Where are we going from? <laughs> That's your fault. Anyway. You two were standing next to each other, weren't oh. you? Yes. Was he quite badly behaved? Oh, it was brilliant. I've discovered the key to Ifagellini's success. I was thinking about this because I've laughed so much this week and I think that's the key because so many singing teachers have said it's really healthy to think of a giggle feeling before you when you breathe in. Well, I spent the whole week doing that, standing next to this man so and looking at you. And joking apart, <laughs> we all know how tense recording sessions can be. It's very, very difficult to do what you're doing. I mean, you've sung so many top A's and G's being a high tenor these last few days. And if there's any kind of tension in the room or conductors being up themselves, it just makes everyone sing worse. Mm -hmm. um, and if everyone collapses into giggles every now and then, it doesn't mean we're not taking the music seriously, does it? No. <laughs> of course not. No, you're absolutely right. It's totally, you know, this, the atmosphere has been lovely and it's, and it's amazing how, what a difference it makes and it's amazing how frequently it descends into s tensions and recriminations which like you say make no positive impact mm. on the country on the music making and on the sort of feeling it's worth adding to that because it's such a caricature isn't it the cross conductor the conductor's throwing his weight around and belittling people mm. um and you know the, the the press likes to use it whenever there's a sort of you know a meme out there um, but it, it just doesn't work anyway look let's just hear a little bit of it uh let's hear a bit of i don't know kyrie 2 
So that's a little bit of Orazio Benevoli's uh, Missa Tues Petrus. Uh, and having looked, because all these masses were edited extremely well about 50 years ago by uh, oh, he's, uh, Feininger, uh, Laurentio Feininger, um, but completely not in, uh, in performance editions. They're all in C-clefs and they're all in libraries and they're out of print. So I thought I would do editions of several of them as part of my research at the University of York. Um, but I was able to look at his editions first. Uh, and my job is as a sort of quality control to make sure that one isn't getting something out of a dusty library that should, frankly, better stay off there. Can I ask, how, when you come to something like that, come to producing a new edition, what, how do you do that quality control? What, do you, what does that involve for you? Because you can't hear it, can you? You can't suddenly invite 35 musicians around to your house. We wouldn't <laughs> come anyway. <laughs> so how do you do it? I, I, I just scoried it, and I scoried it one or two or three times, and what I do is I have a spreadsheet and I make notes as I go along, because there are a lot, there are eight four choir masses by him. I think three or four of them have been recorded. Ernike has done two over 20 years. There's a really good um, North German radio choir of, of one, um, and then there's a couple of also rands. Uh, and so I look at it, and, you know, using my skill and judgment I suppose of what's a good piece of music uh, as opposed to what's an all right piece of music and the thing is this is based on high quality material this is based on Palestrina's Tues Petrus which is one of the great motets and, and one of the reasons it's so great is just so full of light and so full of really strong musical progressions that lead you on to the next bit uh, and I was thinking that's a good start for this mass. But he really runs with it, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does. It's really singable, actually, but it's, I was saying yesterday, it's like when everybody gets going, it's like this huge, the best slice of cake in the world. It's this sort of creamy and gooey and amazing. Um, but the rest of the time, I, I found myself just getting distracted by all the glorious things going on around me and having to hang on and count like mad. Did you enjoy the Stimmtausch? Was is the Stimmtausch? Um, it's his voice exchange. Well, the, the running around oh, between yeah. the different sort of the choirs. I mean, it's quite light, isn't it? Two of the composers, um, Ben Roweth and uh, Owen Desmond, uh, were talking about how he's very careful with the four full four choir texture. Right. So uh, we could just hear a little bit of, the, of of something being thrown around between the four choirs. And then uh, saving it, saving the, the, the four choir. Actually, at the end of the... It's all harmony-led. When there's a big, dramatic, harmonic moment, then he, then he saves something. So the furthest you go away from the, the tonic key, the home key, in the Kyrie is right at the end. There's, there's a sort of A major, which is two steps up the, the circle of fifths, and that's a really strong moment.
but we had some uh, had some instrumental colour as well, didn't we? Yeah, lovely colours actually, and we had some what recorder and sackbot cornetto, which was really nice, just one. And we should just well, this is the very tired, very, very tired. Um, yeah, the, the instrumental colour on that. I mean, the re- for those who love their um, split choir music, if you know your Venetian stuff. Most of those choirs in, a, say, a Venetian four-choir piece, only one of those is really a choir. That's the capella, and that is for your normal sort of falsettist, high tenor, baritone, bass. They would have had two or three people to a part. But in those other Venetian choirs, basically instrumental with a single voice to carry the text is the implication. And this isn't like this. This is really for all vocal choirs, and the clefts at the beginning of each of the choirs show us that, that it's a normal, what we would call, SATB choir. And Rome at the time means probably castrato, high tenor, baritenor, uh, and bass. And at the time, there are payment receipts um, from uh, having asked extra instruments in the ones you mentioned, and they seem to have been, therefore, reinforcing the top and the bottom lines. And I think that's because the middle lines in this kind of, well, you've been singing Sammy the high tenor or someone like uh, Greg Skidmore singing that Barry tenor line, you're in the top part of your range, which implies loud. Yeah, that's right. And we, were, we said this yesterday, I think, that, that that's one of the challenges of it is that you have different people at different parts of their ranges the whole time. And so the question of what's, what's interesting and what's not interesting and always balancing to somebody who's in a less favourable part of their range is just, like you so say, you can see how the instrumental stuff's come in. And, and so, you, so they, what they've done is they've, they've, I mean, there's no proof of this in the scores. It's just from payment receipts. Uh, and uh, above all, Benevoli was a fixer. He used to book, just like in London now, he used to book, he used to have his own choir, uh, the Capella Giulia, but also uh, would, Capella Giulia. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and he, he would book extras for these, for these masses. And they seem to have booked bass but bass lines for the instruments just to give them a little bit of extra. But for us also, it serves as colour, so you can hear that the second choir with the sackbut is different from the third choir with the bass violin and the fourth choir with the dulcian. And on the top, cornetto, violin. And I put recorder because I love the sound of it, playing an octave effectively above Martha, but also because Becky Austin Brown just makes the most wonderful sound. She's one of the most significant contributors to the Strigio 40-part mass, her playing the whole way through that banks of recorders was a lovely thing. Can you tell us a bit about what, when this sort of stuff, because it's obviously not everyday music, is it? It's, not, it's music for special occasions. When and where, which churches it would have been performed in? Um, so this is, this is Rome, and the churches thing is, is difficult. There are a couple of churches that the receipts are from whose names I have gone out of my head. Not St. Peter's particularly, although this being uh, Tours Petrus, who knows, that could absolutely have been uh, a mass Maybe in there. It's a, is it a, a sort of application for a papal... People job, you know, it feels like it might be. You know? We the fact that he wrote eight, uh, but we don't. I mean, there, there is one that is for in, in Diluvio, uh, a mass for the the flood. Would you two just behave? Right? <laughs> Did you say you said rotate? I thought. I couldn't um, and you see, a couple a couple of them are sort of all right, but going through the motions. Okay. Uh, two of them particularly not recorded, and I shan't. Uh, but there are three that we're going to, and the next one will be the Missa Maria Prodigio Celeste, mm. the Marie Celeste Mass, fortunately not sunk without trace, uh, also known as the Missa Benevola, his own Mass. He was French, at least his father was French. His father was a pastry chef, which I think should be of interest to anyone mm. everywhere put it, planning to put on a, uh, on a concert of this. See, that's why it's like a big slice of cake. 
See, makes total sense. Makes why is this not better known? Why, why have we never heard of him before? Um, fashion. Uh, we all think that Venice is the place for multi-choir, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, it was Hugh Keat that told me about these pieces. He's been telling me about Benevoli for a while, uh, and the famous mass, one of the three I've edited, which has been recorded by Ernique, the name of which has, has gone out of my mind, uh, and they have, this, they have this particular effect in them called Sostenere la Mula, Sostenere la Mula, to rein in to, or to hold back the mule or the donkey, in which uh, you have a soprano cantus firmus. So imagine the sopranos of all four choirs surrounding the, uh, uh, surrounding the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the congregation, and all four sopranos singing super, super slow notes. While the, and that's supposedly the priest on the mule trying to hold it back so it doesn't run away, slow notes, while the legs are going... sort of thing. This is called Sostenere la Mula. Apparently it's a 16th century technique in Rome, but I've never seen one. But by the 17th century, it was quite common. Uh, other composers using it as well. Now, the edition I've made is from an 18th century mass, so they were performing them 100 years later, uh, 18th century score. Who comes to Rome in 1705? Handel. King of kings. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And Lord of lords. So that's the mule. Yeah, exactly. So Hugh says that's a that's a good mule that we all know and love. And the ones in this mass that I can't remember the name of, um, actually, but the one recorded by Ernique goes to the absolute nth degree. Crazy, crazy, long, long, long form donkeys. And when he gets bored, he turns the entire thing on its on its head. So the donkey is in the bass, and the legs are left kicking in the <laughs> soprano alto tenor. <laughs> donkey from the Missa Sideus Pro Nobis, the mass on If God is for us, who can be against us, recorded by Herve Niquet and Le Conseil Spirituel. That recording came out about six years ago, I think. The other composer on our new disc is Bonifacio Graziani. This is also Roman mid-17th century, such an interesting period where there's still all these holes in music history, it seems, certainly in what's coming out on CDs. And this is a lovely um, uh, psalm, O Lord, rebuke me not, full of wonderfully uh, evocative words for, for, for composers, especially one for whom um, the Jesuitical idea of direct expression was really important. Three singers here, Rebecca Lee, Julia Doyle herself, and Frederick Long. Thank you. 
the music of Bonifacio Graziani. There are a few recordings of some of the stuff he's done out there, but not of the Opus One. Opus One was published in Rome in 1650, exactly the same time as this Mass. Um, the Romans said it was an anno santo, a special religious holy year for which all sorts of money was spent, a bit like having the Olympics, you know, projects were finished that uh, had been mean to finish for a while. The Olympics. <laughs> the whole Olympics. Anyway, Jules, you sung a lot of notes in this. So I've, so this is, this is Opus 1, and this is music that was copied a lot in manuscript and taken to Northern Europe. The whole collection was reprinted in Antwerp and then back again in Rome a few years later, which generally suggests it had been really, really popular. And it's sort of Monteverdi plus getting towards Vivaldi. I mean, the whole thing about this mid-17th century is that people can't place it. We know what Monteverdi is. We know what late Monteverdi is. Beatus, Beatus, here, 1640 or so published then at least we know what our Vivaldi is and this is in the hull uh, in the middle of it and it's just something different isn't it yeah I, exactly it does sort of feel sort of in between those two I think it's a real pleasure to sing it's got it's got gorgeous line and gorgeous amazing use of suspensions and scrunchy bits and yeah it's just really glorious to sing actually a lot of fast notes a lot of fast notes which is fine sometimes being angry sometimes being ravished, yea, unto the seventh mm -hmm. heaven. Yeah. Great contribution. <laughs> you, only, you only had to sing Venete Omnes a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. And it was about this moment that I remembered that Julia, a few weeks before the recording, had a, a few difficulties with, these, um, with learning these fast notes, but not quite from the quarter you might have expected. <laughs> If you've got a funny recording of yourself singing with an animal, please feel free to keep it to yourself. Meanwhile, back at the serious discussion. It's got that Monteverdi harmonic drive mm. to it. Yeah. You get a lot of, uh, you know, some, I mean, I do like Grandy. You sing a lovely piece of Grandy. What's your favourite piece of Grandy oh, you sing sometimes? Or Arbo de Oh, no, and the or Intemerata. Intemerata. Beautiful piece. Not Hock again, but Grandy. Grandi. Um, but Plorabo di Acnocte, also a fantastic piece. But not all grandis in his contemporaries' music had that harmonic drive, by which I mean a chord that has to be followed by another chord. And because the, 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 that is such a strong feeling in the listener's mind, they can play with it. Mm. I think one of the things that might be a reason why it's not as well known as Monterey, not as much sung, is just occasionally it feels like the music kind of gets out of control of the words. And so you, there's, a lot, there's musical gestures happening a lot. But think about that Corona Vitae or whatever it was, the, the end of one of the motets, which is fabulously ornate and decorative and spectacular, but is a little bit much in some ways. And I wonder if that's part of the reason.
I, I think also part of the reason it's just technically singery, very difficult to sing. But you, I mean, we say, we say, you know, Montevideo is terribly well known. Yes, he is, and there have been complete editions of his music for 80 years, something like that. But there's lots of music that isn't sung because it's just too difficult. Pulcra S will be sung because it's sort of manageable. Um, but uh, I suppose Adoramaste and things like that, that's, that's manageable. But this is, well, for a start, it's one to a part music. Interestingly, it wasn't just music for church occasions. This is what the, Ju- uh, what the Jesuits would have referred to as spiritual recreation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it could be performed in a sort of private, well, what Monteverdi refers to as the chapels and chambers of princes for his 1610 Vespers edition. Uh, and so there's an intimacy to it. So we weren't kind of, you know, sticking a microphone miles away uh, in the church uh, together yeah, to, today. The distinguishing feature of Italian music at this time, generally, isn't it, is the sense that religious music is is domestic and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, personal, and that personal music feels like it could be vice versa. And, and same for so much of, of Bird's music, um, in that, you know, you see a sacred text and you think it's for church. Well, no, actually not. There's plenty of music, um, Wilkes, Music that was that is has a sacred character, um, but it's very much for domestic performance. They perform sacred music at home. What's the there's a subtitle of the Cantione Sacra, isn't there? Quae uh, ad argumento. Yes, uh, Cantionis Quae ab argumento sacre vocate sunt I thank you songs which, because of their subject matter, are called sacred. Now, Bird may have had a reason for that because he printed it 1575, and he shouldn't really have been pushing out Latin church music. That was only for Oxford and Cambridge and the Chapel Royal. But I think it also refers to this, this thing that we have songs and we go home and we think about religious, religious things. Oh, well, we've, um, the room's looking fairly empty. You've got a lot of chairs to move back now, but it was a, was a pleasure being in here. The thing I least enjoyed about these recording sessions was being assured that the building site was static mm. and getting there and discovering that it wasn't. Uh, but they were fairly helpful about not doing the breaking and that kind of, that We've kind definitely of thing. We've had worse, haven't we? Like that, this, we, ne- we didn't have to stop very often, didn't have to reschedule or go home like we did one time. No, we had to go home because of, because of wind. wind in Cambridge. Weather-wise. Weather-wise. Well, on that note, <laughs> I have been standing next to Sammy Mulroy, and wind is another theme in this group. I never realised the connection between Eva Giolini and a lot. This is a very windy group. Windy. And we don't know what you mean. I don't know what they you mean. They absolutely do. Uh, fortunately, the end of that sentence seems to have uh, been somehow lost. On we go. Good. Well, I'm glad we've done this. And uh, thoughts about the, the, the next one. Uh, strangely, the next one, I think, won't be an A, T, bar, B. I think it'll actually be S, A, T, B. I mean, there's all sorts of other stuff at this period in that Roman pitch was supposedly a tone lower than modern pitch. Uh, they went around retuning the organs in the late 1580s, 1590s, apparently, um, uh, because of the use of increasing use of castratos mm-hmm. uh, in the late 16th century, who clearly weren't quite so confident right at the top. Castratos, uh, it, sorry, as opposed to boys, you mean? Uh, certainly boys or falsettists, uh, I suppose. Um, no, no less use of boys at this period. Uh, and so it had to, to take it down. And when you think of, well... Handel Dixit Dominus, that's a piece that should absolutely be taken down a tone. I don't know why someone doesn't make a proper sold edition of that in F minor. I mean, no one's going to thank, the violins aren't going to thank you for having to play A flats everywhere. But it's so crazily high, it was only written that high because he imagined it sounding 
uh, down a tome. Uh, but I've looked at the next mass, which, whichever way you look at it, it looks to me to be sort of SATB. I mean, there's, there's stuff about this high tenor stuff. I mean, because people like you exist and will, for money, sing high notes a lot of the time, one can do it. But there's a comment from 1570 or somewhere. It says a, a real alto, meaning high tenor, is as rare as a something in the something, um, uh, implying that... You know, the normal bloke's voice was what they called a tenor, which is a light baritone, as it is now. And then some people could sing basses and some people could sing altos. Um, but you can imagine in places where they didn't quite have the choice, they would be having people with light baritones flipping into their falsetto, which would work in a palestrina mass and wouldn't work in the sort of music, that, the sort of solo music that we've been singing today. So I don't think there's, you know... Andrew Parrott has this thing about there's absolutely no proof of the use of anyone using their falsetto before sort of late Purcell's time, or maybe he says early 18th. But I think the reality is that in choirs and places where they sing, they would have, they would have done the best they possibly could have of. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting how much music there is, though, for that voice, isn't it? Because it's not really a voice that particularly exists now. There were a few people, you know, Sam Bowden and... Uh, Rodrigo del Pozo. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but it's quite a rare voice type, and it's a, bit, it's a little bit compromising for an, perhaps a normal tenor to sing. But you've got quite a bit of Monteverdi. We were speaking about Popea before, things like Adnalta and Popea. got loads of Purcell, which is kind of too high for tenors and too low for altos. But some, f- I mean, fabulous music. Think of uh, Hail Bright Cecilia. All yes. the best music in that is for, the, for those guys. Yes. Um, so it's, it's, it's nature's voice it's supposedly voice. said sung with incredible graces by Mr Henry Purcell and ah, people have read a lot like that does it mean the graces by Mr Henry Purcell or does it mean that he sang it because he's thought to have been a counter to actually I'm outside of my comfort zone now Parrot will be writing in <laughs> were he ever to have listened with giving me the correction and Jules you were singing a part um, written for castratos and the Spanish castratos weren't allowed to be straight out paid and they were paid in silk gloves as a sort of tax dodge. So I'd like now to present you <laughs> with a pair of marigolds as your sort of um, reward for this. There won't be a fee, obviously. <laughs> but you need to declare your marigolds in your tax return, <laughs> otherwise the revenue may... Brilliant. Yeah, that's payment, payment, payment in kind. Good. Lovely. Well, it's getting emptier and emptier. If we could play one little bit for them to sort of finish this. Well, I, I, I wonder if it's just worth saying that, you know, when when you get the email that says we've got this new, you know, recently discovered or you know, sort of digging something out that's not well known that hasn't been done much, you sort of think, oh, all right, mm. is this going to be any good? But actually, this is I think this is really fabulous. We were saying when we joined the recessions, it's fabulous music. It's a it's a really worthy kind of sibling to the better better-known Venetian stuff, if that's right. although a, a different world, uh, slightly, yeah. um, but really fabulous, harmonically kind of better than it needs to be, because there's loads of beauty of sound and loads of kind of sonic opulence, but actually the harmonic language that he employs and the way he's able to, to provide variety, both in, in harmony and also in sonority across the choirs, is really inventive, and I, I found it really lovely. Yeah, I totally agree. And I just want to say thank you for digging it out and bringing it to life. It's a real joy to discover it.
Good. I th- I, we've done this first because I think it's I think it's absolutely the best of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's incredibly incredibly rich. He never seems to run out of. I mean, it's almost like Bach, not stylistically. We just keeps down new idea after new idea. He doesn't he doesn't heavily weigh in on two is Petrus. There are a couple of little little bits to it, but he, what he seems to take is the the harmonic direction. We keep talking about this, and the sort of lightness of texture. It's almost like a big meringue. Yeah, it's like, if you like to think of things visually, then it's like it's a large canvas, isn't it? But you can you can zoom in closely, little details of fabric or facial details, and then zoom out and see the whole thing. And it's that, that constant kind of interplay of the 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 big sweep and the and the detail is fabulous. That's the thing he's taken. Well, it, who knows whether he would have known Strigio and, and his mass, but that forty-part mass, which is coming out shortly. Again, because uh, it's been over 10 years since that came out. Mm. That's got a lot of slow harmonic movement. And at that moment of slow harmonic movement, lots and lots of melodic detail and syncopation and quite difficult to hear. Mm. And here, it's so much easier mm. to hear on all these kind of big movement going boom, boom. And you go da ga da ga da da ga da ga da ga da ga da around the main pulse. It's actually that much that much clearer yeah it, feel, it feels like he's learned how to write for these forces in a way that i, I don't i didn't do the studio so i can't speak for that but spare minalium is the talus is the same thing it's 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 obviously a huge number of people but they're so skillfully employed that it never feels it's it's well balanced and never feels overwhelming and it feels like it's it's composed with real sort of engineering skill mm-hmm. No, I mean, the thing about conducting schmanducting, this is how to put... The hardest thing about this is you're faced with phenomenal musicians. I mean, are there musicians anywhere in the world that are better than the level that we're getting here? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't people ask rhetorical questions anymore? (laughs) Yeah. The, the, The mix of you guys who've been doing it for most of your life and have plenty of experience of 17th as well as 16th I mean this we should say this is almost stile antico writing this is um, music based on Palestrina I mean composers had to write in Palestrina style 100 years after him it was part of their job but letting their hair down and and pushing forward as well and uh, I can't remember at all what I was going to say after that but it was very very good oh to conduct it yeah and and so the first job is, is you know that people will perform it well when they get a hang of it. So not to be too 
clever about it and actually just let them sing it enough mm-hmm. because once they can feel where it's going, everyone's got a sense of how harmonic rhythm flows and that big A major moment after G is a strong moment. Everyone can feel it. But because people are doing such strange, people are, it's a bit like, it's a bit like everyone's moving along on a train and a few people are just before it, a few people are just after it and they keep jumping onto the carriage and then running ahead and then running back. There's this central pull the whole time and then people are, the details happen around it. And for people to feel confident with that detail, um, you just need the kind of train movement first, so everyone just has to sort of get into that. But, um, well, you have one job, which is to give a beat, but mostly my job seems to be about giving, showing direction. In fact, you said to me, Sammy, at one time, said, do you think we've got enough direction in this little bit because uh, it's just a danger of us putting the chords down? And that, I think, is the difference between for me, a great performance and an average performance, this music. And that's what is the difference between this music properly doing what the composer has set it up to and going through the motions. And I think that is what we've been trying to do, make sure there's real shape. It's another thing Eamon's incredibly strong on, and he doesn't let people get away within 16th century polyphony. More and more and more shape. Our new Morales disc, he was asking the singers the whole time in this apparently sort of light, normal major key piece but much more direction because i think that's another thing that we as singers we feel movement that doesn't necessarily mean it's carrying to the other side of the mic the mic and therefore having to give a little bit more so that it so that it registers well i was just going to say this is what's so fantastic about you that you it's always 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 text driven and if you stick with the text and keep going back to the text then that gives you the shape and the direction to an extent doesn't it yeah the music's so so because it's only parts so vertical you can really you can lean back on that, can't you, and feel like, oh, this sounds great, what a nice chord. But actually, it's not that terribly interesting, just a D major chord and a G major chord. No. What's much more interesting is an, an intent But to isn't move. that just a thing about a lot of early music performance Certainly. as well? I think you hear a group like the Talis Scholars, you know, one of the great world vocal groups, and it's such an incredible crystalline sound. You could be forgiven for thinking it's a series of chords. It is not. All those singers, they know exactly what they're doing. It's an incredible line, but the sound itself is so amazing that you, that you think, oh, Renaissance music just goes cling, cling, cling. I remember doing some of this stuff with, um, with Philippe uh, Hedrebeck, is that what I said his name? Um, and he would, he would st- especially in early rehearsals, Monteverdi, um, that four-part mass, yeah. is it? Yeah. Um, in early rehearsals, he'd stop people after one note because he didn't hear the thought in wow. formed, and it's it was it's quite annoying, <laughs> but it, it's a brilliant discipline. To you know, if you I do it often with my pupils, it's like, can I can I hear where that's going? Because if I can't, it's you've already sort of lost something in the music. You can tell with the in breath sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's I quote you on this. Think. Breathe, sing. Mm. Um, there was one other thought on this. Oh, yeah, well, it's of Palestrines. There was one other interesting moment for choral geeks. Only one. Um, only one, though. Uh, of the Palestrina to his Petrus, because we started it with all... But actually, I just went off on one. It wasn't interesting at all. So let's uh, say farewell to uh, Jules and Sammy. Uh, thanks, Jules. Well done. Well honked. Can I honk? <laughs> Sammy. Thank you very much. And we'll finish with the last section of the credo, which I think is an astonishing bit of writing. It doesn't sound like anything else I can think of from that period, or just before or just after. It's based on five notes from the second half of Palestrina's To His Petrus, in which Christ is saying to St Peter, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And the Latin word for bind is ligaveris, and you get this phrase, 
Liga Veris, which is sort of off the beat, um, which with these two voices makes a simple pattern. And these two parts start a chain of entries through the four choirs. Now he's already done this at the end of the Gloria in duple time, but now he's in three. And the utterly wonderful and confusing thing is that sometimes the pattern starts on the first of the three. One, two, three, one, two, three. Sometimes it's on the second beat. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. And sometimes it's on the third. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. And because this is a fully contrapuntal moment, all the voices are working just with this shape, the bass has to do the same thing, which of course makes the whole texture wonderfully unstable. I don't know anything else like it. So good. And in a special offer for Call to our listeners, if you buy a copy of the CD, it's good to have a CD, isn't it, with this lovely sleeve design and the and the notes, or a download before October the 5th, crucial that, before October the 5th, we'll send you a PDF of a whole score for free. Just email us with your receipt at contact at coralchihuahua.com. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks. <laughs>